The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Hey guys, we're going to have a conversation to get ourselves into the book of Ecclesiastes. This series is entitled Beautiful Things, Finding Joy in the Impermanence of Life. And Ecclesiastes is in itself a very odd and strange book. And so uh, as we've been getting ready for this book uh, series and talking through what that looks like, we're doing this in uh, coordination and collaboration with River of Grace. So actually what this series is going to look like is going to be folks from our church preaching the same book from for River uh, for King's Cross and River of Grace having their own folks preaching that series. But before we get into talking about the book of Ecclesiastes, since we're doing this as a bit of like a panel discussion getting into the series, I wanted to make sure that we all knew who each other were. So this is David Pickney. He's the lead pastor of River of Grace Church. And this is Peter Denio. He is a math teacher at Hillside <laughs> Middle School. Here we need math Manchester. teachers to talk yes. about Ecclesiastes. So actually, Peter, can you just introduce yourselves? Um, I'm sure the folks at King's Cross know who you are, obviously, but uh, folks at River of Grace, uh, just introduce yourself. Yep, I'm Peter Denio. I'm a member at King's Cross. Um, I, like Jacob said, I teach. I'm a public school teacher in Manchester. I teach math for 7th and 8th graders. And that's that. You're married. I'm married. You have two children? I have children, yes. Uh, married with four kids, been living in Manchester for uh, about 18, 17, 18 years now. So, um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Excellent. David? Oh, me in a nutshell. Well, that's <laughs> I'm just a nut. Uh, yeah, David Pinkney. Um, yeah, Pastor River of Grace, we planted that almost 18 years ago. I must have moved here almost the same time, Peter. Um, originally from New Hampshire, my dad was a, a rural pastor here. Uh, married to Sharon, coming up on 32 years this month. Five wonderful children, all adults, and uh, all lean towards Jesus. And uh, excited about doing this uh, sermon series in collaboration with uh, King's Cross. Yeah, and just to make sure everybody at River of Grace knows who I am, I am uh, Jacob. I'm the lead pastor at King's Cross Church. We planted King's Cross here in Manchester. About we moved here six years ago and planted started the church about five years ago, I guess at this point. And um, we are excited to be doing this together. We have a long-standing relationship with River of Grace, and so I, if you don't know who I am, that means that you're a part of the, the, the new wave of people that have been there, and uh, I'm glad that you're a part of River of Grace. Before we get into talking about Ecclesiastes, uh, what I wanted to start us out with is just talking through uh, what Ecclesiastes is a part of in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you've got several genres of literature. A genre of literature is basically kind of saying what style um, is the book written in so that you kind of know how to read it. You know, you don't read um, a novel like, uh, I don't know, 1984 in the same way as you read the Constitution, right? You read different genres differently. And so you have uh, the genre of wisdom in the Old Testament. And so I just want to ask Peter, Peter, can you help us understand before we get to talking about Ecclesiastes, what's this wisdom literature in general? What, what is it? Why is it important? And start us out by just what are the books of, liter- of wisdom literature in the Old yeah. Testament? So uh, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when we talk about wisdom literature, we're talking basically about five books. We're talking about Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, Job, and Song of Solomon. Uh, they all represent this wisdom genre in slightly different ways. So wisdom literature is fairly normal in the ancient world. And all it is is really just a teacher or uh, just a wise person imparting their wisdom to other people. So the way that wisdom literature breaks down in the Old Testament is you have uh, Psalms and you have Song of Solomon, which are more poetic. Uh, And then you have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, which are poetic in a sense, but they're, they're more of the strict wisdom. So you have Proverbs, which is basically like these lists of wise sayings. Um, and then in Ecclesiastes and in Job, you have all the same wisdom. It's just packaged a little bit differently. So for example, if, if you're familiar with the Old Testament book of Job, it's this running dialogue between Job and his friends as they kind of confront the issues of why do bad things seem to happen to good people. So it's sort of, it's all the same wisdom, it's just framed in a slightly different way and then God shows up at the end and he answers. Ecclesiastes is slightly different, not in content, 
uh, but in the form. So you'll find a lot of the same wisdom sayings in Proverbs. It's just more of a monologue where Job is a dialogue. Uh, Ecclesiastes is more just the teacher uh, imparting that wisdom as he sort of thinks out loud uh, to his students. He thinks about all these different things and what gives life meaning and what gives life value and works out wisdom uh, in that way. So that's kind of wisdom literature in a nutshell. Yeah, I think the, the Psalms is a part of the wisdom literature, although it's kind of like the, the hymn book of the Old Testament in a certain sense because uh, wisdom captures um, the... Uh, when we look at the Bible, um, my experience is that people tend to look at the Bible as kind of like a list of do's and don'ts and like do this and don't do this, whereas uh, the wisdom literature especially is very much kind of like a free-form coloring experience, and it's about the experience of life. Like, it's not just about, like, um, you know, stepping on a nail is bad. It's about how the walk and how you live your life. And so the Proverbs tend to ex- capture a lot of the emotions of life, a lot of the, the dynamics of what does it mean to be rejoicing in the, in the Lord? What does it mean to be... Um, happy when things are when re- things are really sad. How do you express anger and frustration with the Lord? So that's what the, the Book of Psalms does. It gives voice to a lot of the experience of life, and then Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job kind of come alongside and kind of speak into okay, how do you live um, life wisely? How do you live it in a way that's going to honor the Lord? It's going to look different for each person. Um, and then you have the Song of Solomon, which is about marriage and sexuality and those things. Um, I'm not going to get into that today. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, David, as we're kind of getting into wisdom literature, um, anything that's striking, striking to you about helping us get grounded in, this, in these books? Yeah, so to me, um, especially as a young man, this was a, a go-to book when I didn't know, like, what, where to read in the Bible today. I'd always go to the, the proverb of the day, uh, and and uh, so there's 31 proverbs. There's one a day. 31 and, chapters. 31 chapters. I'm sorry. Yep. And and I would a, a teacher of mine urged me just to find one verse after you read through a chapter of proverbs to to to, to wrap around your day. That was that was incredible because it really is as we'll mention in a, book, a bit. Actually, I can read it right now. Um, proverbs is really wise statements, wise counsel from parents to kids. And in one sense, it can be God to us, but in reality, it really applies to like how to live a wise life. And I think you talk, we'll talk about the fact that, you know, this is, do I, do I go, do I try to live a wise day today or a foolish day today? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so at the beginning of Proverbs, you hear, hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are graceful garlands for your head and pendants for your neck. And that second verse may not sound like a lot of like garlands and pendants, but the whole idea is you will have an honored life if you listen to this wisdom. So for me personally, I've urged, it worked for me, but I've urged young people especially, not that it doesn't uh, apply to older people, but young people especially, just use this wisdom to, to create thinking about how to live a day, how to mm-hmm. live a life. Yeah, I think that one of the things that's hard for us in our contemporary world um, in terms of getting into the wisdom literature, just as a category, is that we don't have um, people who are recognized like, well, this is, you know, the pastor is the person who helps me have wisdom, or the philosopher of the day is the person who helps me have wisdom. Like, we kind of don't have that today, but we do experience that through, you know, various, you know, sort of life coaches or sometimes even celebrities, you know, I think that's a part of the reason why Oprah got so popular is because she did exude a certain sense of wisdom about her life and how she, who she was interviewing and the people she was talking to. So we still have kind of this latent category of wisdom that helps us understand, you know, I've talked to folks and, you know, they've read through the Bible and they're like, this is all a bunch of weird stories about talking snakes and all this stuff. But then I got to the Proverbs and the wisdom literature is like, oh, this stuff actually matters for my life. And I think that that's an invitation for why wisdom literature still has um, value for us. Um, can you help me understand, though, when we, I think one of the mistakes we get into, we read the Proverbs and we get into kind of this dangerous territory of thinking that they're promises. And they're, they're not that because, um, so for example, I, how many countless parents have I talked to when they have something on their mind of, 
one of the Proverbs where it says, if you raise a child up in the way of the Lord, it shall, they shall never depart from their path or from his path. And they read that to say, if I, the proverb says, if I raise a child to be a Christian, um, they're never going to forsake Jesus. And, you know, children don't always do that. Uh, and so then they have this deep internal wrestling. Like, I thought this was a promise. You, you put the proverb in into the slot and out comes... The good, child, a good kid, yeah, a good right, kid, right? right yeah. And so, if you, you can you can mistreat the proverbs and uh, and therefore kind of almost kind of throw your own faith into the rocks. So, kind of help us, um, either one of you, kind of jump in either, and help us with that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a really important. As Jacob was talking about genre, is to make sure that we're hearing it in the way that it's it's meant to be heard. So when we hear the proverb to train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. We're conditioned to hear that as a promise. Um, and in the genre of, uh, of wisdom literature, it's, it's not a promise, it's a general principle. Now that one's interesting um, because it, it can just be understood in different ways, but proverbs um, are not a guarantee uh, I think they're more sort of uh, guidelines, guardrails, if you will, in terms of if you choose to live in this way, this is an avenue toward flourishing, generally. Um, it doesn't mean that every day is going to be great. It doesn't mean every single thing is going to go well. It doesn't mean you're going to be financially prosperous or any of that. Uh, it's just sort of a general blueprint of this is a blessed life. So of all the topics... Um, in Proverbs, I think about uh, being careful with your words, uh, being careful with your temper, uh, financial wisdom, all sorts of advice in terms of the ways that we relate to people and to our surroundings. I think that what wisdom literature is saying is that if you follow these general guidelines, this puts you on an avenue toward a blessed life. But it's not a promise that, that things aren't going to go badly. Like the, I mean, I think we all know people who have done everything right in terms of the raising of their kids and have still, and still had tremendous pain and tremendous difficulty. So I think it's important to hear that word of grace, that it's not that um, you know, God fell off the throne for a second and, and things went south. It was, just, it was never meant to be a promise in that way. It was more of a guideline. So. Mm. I'm yeah. just going to add that, I mean, really... The, the wisdom literature, as we'll find out in Ecclesiastes, is helping us frame the way we think about our life and our day and, 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 and my occupation. And uh, as we move towards thinking about Ecclesiastes, it's really meant to help us frame um, my particular life in a sort of a, a wise way that God would want me to think about my life. And then with Proverbs, you have, well, in Ecclesiastes as well, you have these, like, Okay, and this is the way that would work out in the office. Like you talk about, you know, not speaking a lot of words. I think Ecclesiastes is going to say something about let your words be few. Right. Yeah. I mean, that if 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 just half of us would listen to that, yeah. we would have a it'd be beautiful. And so that changes how my life. You talk about the word flourishing. I love that. Um, it, it 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 provides for the the actual boots on the ground life choices I make as a follower of Christ. What is a wise way to live? Yeah, was, Peter, could you you used the word flourishing, and I um, I like that word, but I wonder if we could define that just a little bit. Talk me through what is the category of human flourishing, and how does Proverbs help us do that? Yeah, um, yeah. So when I think of flourishing, I just think of a person who is just filled with joy and with gratitude and satisfaction, even in the midst of circumstances that are difficult. So it doesn't. It doesn't mean that the external circumstances are good. It's, it, and it's not even a person who's perfect. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, obviously such a thing doesn't exist. But it's a person who can um, acknowledge their own uh, problems. They can acknowledge the difficulties going around them. But that's not where they live. Mm. They, they don't wallow. They're, they're always kind of on the road toward joy and gratitude and acknowledging the goodness of God. Um, and there's just a difference in the way that they, that they speak. So when I think of flourishing, I just think of just a life that is uh, just satisfying and joyful and blessed. Mm. Uh, which is, I, if you go to Psalm 1, that would be 
blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked and, and those sorts of right. things. So that's when I say blessed, I, I just, that's, that's the sort of thing. I think of satisfaction and joy. Right. Yeah, and that's where I just, I think one of my last questions is to help us getting into this wisdom literature category is how do we look at both Ecclesiastes, I'm thinking specifically Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, so that we don't see these as kind of like uh, to-do lists to be self-righteous, but that just kind of trying to delve a little bit more deeply into wisdom as a path of wisdom or folly. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, personally what I love about wisdom literature is it's, it's the choice between these two uh, avenues, and it's, um, you have this a- avenue toward flourishing or you have this avenue toward folly, and what we are in our lives is just the accumulation of those choices. So I think um, in terms of my, my quarantine life, and apparently I'm prone to stress eating, um, and I have eaten more, uh, I'll say Swiss cake rolls, cookies, brownies. Um, that well, I, I'm, we, we have no, we don't understand that. <laughs> right, I, I, I'm, spe- I'm, speaking, yeah. I'm speaking, <laughs> I'm, I'm changing my name to, to Little Debbie, I guess. Um, but so, so in terms of the wisdom literature, if I choose to engage in those poor eating habits for a day, I might notice a little bit of a difference. Um, I'm not going to feel quite as well. I'm not going to have as much energy. Um, but if I can sort of snap back to healthier habits, that's kind of it. If I continue down that road, uh, I'm going to find that all of a sudden I'm getting really winded when I walk up the stairs to say nothing of going out to try to run. Right. So the accumulation of those choices is what, uh, what leads to the the formation of our lives. And that's what Proverbs is. So you can be unwise in a moment. Uh, you can be enticed, uh, enticed toward folly in a moment, but that moment's not a deal breaker. It doesn't mean you're disqualified from anything. It doesn't, and, and people might not even notice. Um, it's more the accumulation of those choices. So it's not an individual foolish act that defines you. Like I think, again, about the use of our words. I think if I think over the last 24 hours, I've probably said like a thousand foolish things. Um, it, it doesn't mean that I have to be defined by that. I can, I can choose to apologize for those right. foolish things I've said. I can try to make, um, make it right where I, where I can. Yeah. Uh, I can repair those ruptures that I've caused uh, with my wife and with my kids. And I don't have to continue down that, wor- that road uh, to folly. And that's how wisdom literature is. It's like all of a sudden, five years later, you notice that you've sort of accumulated all of these foolish acts, and, and that, that starts to define it's, you. Um, I don't know, have you ever seen the, the movie Inside Out? <laughs> yeah. So in the in movie Inside Out, there's kind of like these like friendship island, right? You know, family island, like that sort of thing. Like I kind of wonder if a way to conceptualize. So it, this happens in both Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. You have kind of you know the pleasures of of the flesh, or you know, food is called out, or like Proverbs, like I think of you know the scoffer. Well, that's not saying like if you say one rude thing or one you know thing you know randomly when you're driving to people who don't know how to drive, you know, who aren't from New I, England. I can't, I can't relate to that, but <laughs> I imagine Should there you people, imagine a situation? <laughs> there are people like uh, that out there in the world. Right? But yeah. it's it, the accumulation of decisions towards this sphere of wisdom or folly. Yeah. yeah I, I and I think that what that does is it kind of says that there is a, there's going to be a varying degree in which how people apply. Not to say that you don't apply Proverbs or Ecclesiastes to your life, but the way in which it takes on flesh, the kind of clothes it wears, the way it takes on texture. So are there Proverbs or just kind of in your own life, uh, I'm thinking specifically of Proverbs, but just wisdom that you've applied and how it's taken on specific meaning for your own life that might look different? Yeah. Well, I think the one I quoted earlier, trying to be refrained from speaking uh, uh, trying to listen well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many Proverbs that speak to that. Um, or another one, that the, the Proverbs that speak about generosity, that generosity isn't the tithe check I make sure I get in every month. It's, it's, it's when I have plans that 
uh, being interrupted by someone else's needs, and I, I think through my heart, and, and this is where wisdom helps, is going, what, what has better value, being generous or my plans? Because you know, Proverbs say you make your plans, but God sort of has other right. things going yeah. on. So I think those sorts of things, how it governs and shapes the way, for me, it's like how you make decisions through a day. Uh, I just find that to be, um, and it's interesting. We take take this issue of wisdom, and it's something that it, it's woven through Scripture. And even, you know, you get to James. You mentioned it earlier that uh, James is saying, "Ask for it. Ask for wise ways to live." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Peter? Yeah. So one specific one that that comes to mind is um, in Proverbs twenty six. It's this sort of paradoxical statement. I think we have a slide, so I hope you can see it. Uh, it says to not answer a fool according to his folly, otherwise you'll be like him. And then the very next sentence is to answer a fool according uh, to their folly, lest they be wise in their own eyes. So I think of things like that. And what I really love about, about things like that is the, the paradox, and it, it, it's just reality, that there are times... Uh, where we do we do answer for specific reasons, and there's times we choose to remain silent because mm-hmm. it's not really going to do any good. So I think, in terms of speci- I can't think of any Facebook comments. <laughs> so, so perfect that you bring that up. The way that I apply that in in my life is, I will almost never uh, I will never comment on something uh, on Facebook unless it's like lighthearted joking. So political posts. I mean, we're we're just removed from the, the governor's press conference yesterday, and lo and behold, on social media, people have very strong opinions on both sides of, of his decision. So I choose not to engage those sorts of things anonymously, uh, meaning with people that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so in those cases, most of the time, I'm going to just remain silent. Uh, but then there are some instances where over the last couple of years, uh, where i, I felt like I did have to say something in person because a comment was made that my kids heard and I felt like they needed to hear somebody voice the opposite opinion. So in terms of answer a fool according to their folly uh, so they're not wise in their own eyes, I didn't have any illusion that I was going to change this person's mind, but I did want to speak to that in front of my children just so they know that like in, in that specific instance as we're talking about uh, certain political issues that these people that you're talking about are image bearers. They're made in God's image. They're loved by God, and and we need to be very careful about how how we talk about them. So in that, that's sort of one one application. Most of the time, I'm just going to try my best to apply the the silence. Um. <laughs> it, it, this is one of the ones that came to my mind that I ha- always had to have in the back of my mind. Now, anybody who knows me would know that I have. It's not hard for me to come up with things to say. Um, but Proverbs seventeen twenty eight, even a fool keeps silent it is considered wise. When he closes his whip, lips, he is deemed intelligent. Uh, I always have it in my mind that if I don't know what's going on, I just kind of, hmm, mm. hmm that's very interesting. I just always have it in my mind, like, people are thinking I'm smarter than I actually am right now. That's <laughs> like, exactly you it. You know, it's like, hey, look, even if you're you're a total idiot, like, you can at least be thought smarter than you are if you just don't say anything, you know? That's that's in the Bible. <laughs> yep, that's good. So, um, just one last thought on this, and then we'll move on to specifically to Ecclesiastes. But David, as you have seen wisdom literature lived out, like, how has wisdom literature through your life taken on power and meaning through your walk with the Lord? Man, I, I'm sitting here listening to this, and I'm thinking, and, and I think of my, our children, and I think of how Proverbs sets this up as wise counsel from parents to kids. And then I think of the, we'll get into this with Ecclesiastes, the topic of joy. And uh, recently I was sitting uh, with a group of leaders and we we're going around getting caught up on how we we're doing, and, and they asked me, how are you doing? And I just said, you know, I, with everything else, I'm just really happy with life. And I, I, I'm going to credit that to wisdom literature, that uh, it's the part of the Bible that you go to to frame your life towards joy. One of my old license plates used to be G-R-8-J-O-Y, great joy, uh, because I'm convinced that, as, uh, as some have said, Chief end of man is to uh, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And joy becomes 
one of those markers mm. of someone who's living a wise life. And so uh, for me personally, it just it, it feels like in the midst of, of, of growing older, not being as smart as the two other guys on camera, um, you know, just not, not having my financial act together as well as so many more people around me, I've got I've got this deep well of joy because I, I think the wisdom of God has allowed me to frame David Pinckney's life, the only one there is, in in a a relatively wise way. Mm. And, that, and I hope that doesn't sound like boasting because there's Psalms that I mean Proverbs that talk about that. But it just you know being the oldest guy here in the set, I, I can testify that deep joy comes from a, a life lived and framed by the the, the wisdom of God. And these these books provide that. Well, I think that's one of the things that um, you you've picked out as we've talked about this, and that whole image of wisdom literature is largely kind of a generational transition. Like that's yeah, what you're, you know, yeah. it's from fathers to sons specifically, yep. but generally from wise parents to younger mm-hmm. children. Um, and I'm thinking in uh, in terms of the whole narrative of the Bible. Certainly, we all come to the table with different experiences with our earthly parents. Um, but you used the term earlier that the wisdom literature has a, there's an effect of grace in our lives that it has of, because it comes from a Heavenly Father who does deeply love us and wants us not just to kind of know, hey, I've saved you, I'll see you at the end of the line. Right. Right. Like he wants, he's walking, he knows what our experience is, not only because he sees us, but uh, the Son of God lived our lives and lived a wise life. Um, so that's kind of leading us now into a little of what we want to talk about with Ecclesiastes. Yeah, yeah um, perfect. And to get into that, uh, Peter, I just want to, when, when I mentioned to you we're going to do Ecclesiastes, you kind of like had one of those like, ooh, you know. Yeah. Peter lit up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't see you like get too excited very often, you know, like uh, the, you see a sub three hour marathon. I know that you get excited about that. Um and then donuts and Red Sox and then Ecclesiastes, right. um, and yep. so kind of in that order. It's <laughs> um, but uh, talk me through your experience of kind of being introduced to Ecclesiastes and how that shaped, uh, shaped your thinking on it. Yeah, so some of it is just a personal uh, testimony that um, I became a believer in college. So. When I started reading the Bible, it was just new to me. Like I had never been exposed uh, to that that world before. Um, but I had also had a set of experiences and a way of viewing my life that I thought were were good and wise. So when I became a believer, I had already like experienced joy in my circumstances, and I loved being outside, and I had a pretty strong like environmental ethic, like a view of the natural world. Um, I loved my experiences. I loved being with my friends. I loved having even conversations like this. It was, I always felt this sense that there was more and that it was all good uh, in, in a certain sense. So I found that when I became a believer um, that, that the Bible only enhanced that view. So I've had just great experiences and um, so I'm a teacher. I love teaching. I love interacting with students. Um, I love the work that I do just in and of itself. I feel like it's good work. Um, A couple years after I became a believer we got married and I've just always... Not you and me. Not not you and I. Of course. Yeah, We didn't meet until many years later. but those are experiences that I yeah. loved. I, I love being married, um, having kids, the same thing. So, so I have all of these experiences, and the, there was always this sort of like subconscious, the earth is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And people would talk about life, and they would talk about work, and they would talk about their family relationships in ways that always felt kind of cynical to me. Um, and I just never really connected with that experience because I loved, I just loved being alive. I love all my experiences and, and all that. So I always kind of wrestled with, like, why are Christians always complaining about their job when Genesis 1 says that, <laughs> that work is a, is a gift of a generous creator? Uh, marriage, again, happens before the fall. Uh, so it's all this stuff that, that I think is meant to be viewed positively 
and um, I just always felt kind of out of place in terms of the enjoyment I felt uh, being married to Cynthia. Uh, those, those were um, just great friendship and great conversations and, and all those sorts of things. Um, and so fast forward a couple of years, uh, Cynthia's uncle is an old, uh, he's since passed away, but he, he, is, he was an Old Testament professor. We were passing through Pennsylvania um, on our way, I think, to Tennessee to visit my sister or something. And he happened to be, he happened to be lecturing on Ecclesiastes that mm-hmm. night. So I thought I'll pop in and, and listen to his lecture because I, I love Uncle Dave. He's super interesting to talk to. And what he discussed in that class, like it was almost as radical as a conversion experience for me in terms of all of the things that I have uh, felt all the things that I've experienced, all the joy, all the satisfaction, that was what was on display to me in Ecclesiastes. So from that point on, it was sort of like, I I just picture bringing together all these different tarps in terms of my theology and my Mm. view of the world and Mm. my view of God, and and Ecclesiastes kind of became the pin that held all of those things uh, together. Mm. So it was a a radical experience for me, for sure. So Mm. that was... Um, and since then, I've, I've studied the book uh, fairly extensively, taught it, uh, excited to go back and have an excuse to read it and reread it and yeah. just to meditate on, on those things again. So. Yeah. One of the things, uh, as we've talked, uh, so Ecclesiastes, um, for anybody who has not read it, um, you will very, very quickly, as you read it, get acquainted with this word. So Ecclesiastes 1, uh, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, verse 2 Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Yes. <laughs> we get acquainted with this word vanity, which we use, I mean, certainly we, you use it on a daily basis, right? I mean, it's certainly very, we use it in Market Basket. Um, I say it to people on the street. Hi, vanity. How's right, it going? Right. You know, <laughs> I say vanity. So talk us through this word vanity, uh, because we're going to get used to it. And it's kind of like, like you're talking about that linchpin. Vanity is the linchpin of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, so most of our understanding or misunderstanding is going to be based on, our, on how we view that word. So the NIV translate it, it's even worse. It's meaningless, utterly meaningless, <laughs> everything is meaningless. So it's so, I feel so happy. <laughs> right. So it's it's not, I'm going to love this one. Yeah, yes, I, I'm really looking forward to this one. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so a lot of people you can see how that just starts you off in a negative frame of mind. And a lot of the ways that I've heard Ecclesiastes taught or preached or even understood like on the ground level is that it's, it's a cynical sort of wisdom. It's your life is pointless and, and those sorts of things. So a lot of it will hinge on how we understand that word, uh, which is hevel. Right. Um, so, um, so there's different ways that you can understand that word. It's used 38 times in uh, Ecclesiastes. It's used, that word or some form of it is used five times just in, in Ecclesiastes 1-2. Um, and I think understanding what the word means is, is important for understanding the book. So basically, it, it's, it just means something that's not permanent. Uh, so vanity, uh, I, I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Meaningless is is a it's a misleading translation. It's a bad translation. It, yeah. I, okay. <laughs> I didn't want to die. I'm just going to say it's a bad way. To I didn't want to disparage the say, NIV. I mean, if you use meaningless, it sounds almost like it's the emo book of the Bible. It, yeah, yeah. Right. And that's a lot of how it's understood. But the idea is um, with Hevel is that it's mist yeah. or that it's vapor. Um, it's something that's insubstantial. It's like fog. Like you you can't you can't grab it. And what I really want to say, um, and what I'll, I'll go into more detail with next week, um, is the word could be understood positively or negatively. Um, and it's reality. So you're saying that everything is hevel. Everything is fog. It's mist. You, you can try to grasp it, but you'll, you'll never be able to. So I could interpret that negatively, or I could interpret it um, as more of a positive image. So the way that I've always thought about it um, is, well, not always, but in recent years. So it's spring. We're 10 feet away from like a glorious New England Saturday. 
um, Sunday for those of you watching, but it's supposed to be just as nice tomorrow. And in the front of my house, we have this lilac bush, which is just ready to burst with life. Um, so for the last several years, some of you have heard me talk about this, so I apologize. I'll repeat it until I'm dead. Like, it's a legitimately exciting thing for me when the lilac uh, blooms. So um, when I was going to work like normal people do, I would just bury my face in that bush and just smell it. It's one of the few things that will cause me to stop running. So there's a lovely lilac bush if you run up Mammoth Road in Manchester. There's another one by Cedar Street. Like I kind of know where all the hot spots are in the city. But hot I just I, for, for somebody <laughs> right. in Manchester to know where all the hot spots are it's, and it's for a lilac bush yeah, bush is it's, uh, that's it's, that's, it's, <laughs> it's like a lilac crawl. I think there's other people who um, know hot, hot spots in Manchester <laughs> yeah, for other right. things. Um, which my point being, those bushes are going to bloom soon. Yeah. Um, and within two or three weeks, they're going to be gone. Now, I could view that as negative. I could view it as a despairing reality. Like, what's the point? Like, why should I even bother enjoying it? Because it's just going to be gone soon anyway. Or I can view it more positively as this is just such a gift of God. Mm. Um, the, the smell and the appearance, it's beautiful. Spring is in the air. We can, you know, the, the winter is over-ish. Um, so I can view Hevel in one of those two ways. I can despair mm. and just say that nothing is ever going to amount to anything. What's the point? But what I, what I want to steer us away from is the idea that it's pointless. Now, the lilac bush is just one example. You can, you can fill in with your own example. Ultimately, it's not going to come to anything. So if I start to develop a philosophy or a religion that is based on my Lord and Savior lilac bush, that's going to come to nothing. That's where it becomes negative. But if I view it for what it is, that it's temporary, it's not going to be here in another month, but it is still a generous gift of a good creator. Um, that becomes a very positive thing. And then I start to think about my life. In a sense, everything is hevel. Everything is a mist. It's a fog that a hundred years from now, there's going to be basically a whole new set of people on the planet. Now that can cause me to despair or it can just cause me to embrace the moment mm -hmm. that we have this moment. We have friends and we have experiences and we have all these things to rejoice in so I don't have to despair that that my time is is gonna end at right. some point so that's kind of the tension right the tension in the book but that the meaning of that word is is very important in Ecclesiastes so yeah I, I know David like you really seem to resonate with well Peter's I think it's really important for people to be able to picture what Hevel might feel like and if, if truly our lives are a mist, and that's pretty much what the book says, but yet there's beauty to the embrace, the idea of walking out of your house and burying your face in that lilac bush and inhaling and going, this is a gift from God and I can enjoy it. Now, I, if you just stop it there, if you just draw the line going, I'm going to enjoy life and leave out the rest of Ecclesiastes, we're left as very sort of sensory-driven people. Like, mm. I want to get as much joy out of life as possible. Right, I want to wring it all out. Yeah, but we have, that's not the full story. So Hevel becomes a framework by which I look at my life and look at all the, the gifts of joy God gives me, and I inhale it like, like that lilac. That, and that, that, that the aroma of the lilac becomes for me like a good picture of life. It is beautiful. It's, it's substantive. But in compared to all that God is doing... It is just missed, and that we will get to that. Yeah, and that's so, Peter. I mean, you you'd mentioned this, and we don't need to dwell uh, extensively on this, but there are multiple different perspectives on on Hevel. Sure. And so, um, how can we just kind of appreciate, or at least engage in conversation, uh, the maybe more negative perspectives on Hevel? Yeah, yeah, and I think David um, just made the point. Uh, really well that if I view that um, that lilac or that smell or whatever, if I view that as absolute, that's when the hevel becomes negative. Um, so there are going to be times like if you read Ecclesiastes 4.4, it will say that um, for the person who uh, they they envy their neighbor, so they're in competition. Do you so have they're, it there, David? Yeah. 
Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Right, so that vanity and striving after wind is hevel. So if I am motivated to compete with my neighbor and all of my work and all of my effort is geared toward winning that competition, that's hevel. Like you're building on nothing. And that's a negative that. view. Yes. That's, that, like, so. that's a mist that has no value and it goes away. Right. And then if yeah. you, in Ecclesiastes, if you fast forward a chapter, it will say that um, all of our, uh, for, for God gives people wealth and possessions and he gives those as a legitimate gift. So if I view that all in proper perspective, I could say in one sense, wealth is hevel and it's negative because I'm only pursuing it to compete and I'm trying to establish myself and my permanence uh, <laughs> by, by accumulating wealth, that's hevel. But at the same time, God does give wealth and possessions and he does give people the ability to enjoy them. So the person who experiences that enjoyment and that satisfaction, it's still ultimately not something that you can live your life on, but I can still accept it as a gift mm. if that yeah. It's a great transition to the topic of joy. Yeah, I want to bring that out. What it, it's kind of one of the main themes through the book is And the there's a bunch of, of uh, verses, if you want to throw those up on the screen, about joy, right? Would yeah. this be a good time to put those up? Yeah. Um, I, I'll just speak to that for a Go second. For so yeah. one of the things you'll find, like if you can push through that first initial like introduction of the teacher saying everything is vanity of vanities and like 50 times mentioning that things are, are vain. Once you actually push through and read the book, what you'll find is over and over again this, um, this desire for joy. So if you can see these on the screen, um, these are good sort of orienting like stake marks in the book. So be on the lookout for these as you read. So what's gonna happen in chapters one and two um, 1 to 11, they're going to talk, the teacher's going to talk about the earth. But then from that point, the teacher's going to say, well, I tried this to fulfill myself, and I tried this, and I tried this, and I tried this. And then you get to the end of chapter 2, and it's, but I saw that we just have to accept life as a gift from God. And, and I really want to stress this, and I hope everybody who's preaching the book does stress this. It's not a cynical statement. It's not a, well, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't appear in Ecclesiastes. In all of these cases, um, we are meant to experience our work and our relationships. Um, we're meant to accept them as a gift from God, like a legitimate gift of God, not just mm -hmm. something that, well, what's the point? We're all going to die anyway. We might as well just, like you're talking about, like just squeeze all the joy out of life. That's not what, what Ecclesiastes is on about. Um, so these um, passages for joy and passages like them are, are good sort of a stake in the ground to, to get your bearings as you're yeah. reading it. So we've talked about mist, hevel. We've talked about joy. But for me, this, this, this uh, leads to why this, where this all comes from. Yeah. And uh, in, in uh, chapter 3, and in, in five times in, in Ecclesiastes, talks about fearing God or being in awe of God or revering God. Mm -hmm. I don't like the word fear because we, 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 right. we have negative connotations. Negative connotations. Right. But let me uh, read to you from uh, uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God has done it so that people may fear before him. Now, if you think about... We're, we're saying everything in my life is hevel. It can be, it can be positive, like the, the aroma of lilacs. It can be negative, like, like trying to compete with somebody mm. in business, and that means nothing. But all of that is set in the framework of what God is doing, which lasts forever. Mm. And one of the things we, we as followers of Jesus understand is that my life matters to God because he says it matters. He's redeemed it for his glory. It's not about me. It's not about Peter. It's not about Jacob. It's about him. And, we, and everything he does will last forever. In this world, I am, I am experiencing moments of hevel. You know, that, that, uh, and, and these can be enjoyed, and that's where the word joy comes in. But at the end of the day, we're in awe that God is doing something far greater and eternal, and he's weaving our lives into that. And so that's, that, to me, is how this whole thing threads. And if you read the last, it's like reading the last chapter of a book to, to get... 
If you read the last two verses of this um, of Ecclesiastes, it wraps it all up, saying that this is it. Fear God, enjoy life. Add in there, and that's where the commandments come in. I think it's the only time in Ecclesiastes commandments I mentioned. You would know better than I would, Peter, because you've studied it more. But the whole idea that at the end of the day, God puts these these black and white commandments in there. But it's all about my, my life, even though it's temporary, even though it's a mist, even though it's beautiful, even. I'm finding great joy in that God is doing something big, and I am to be in all of that because it is lasting. Yeah. 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 I, one of the last questions I want to ask, and then we'll kind of move towards kind of closing out our conversation, is, and we've kind of already started talking about this, but as um, we tend to read the Old Testament and think that was for all those Old Testament people, and now we have the New Testament, and so... How do we read, not only do we just read the Old Testament, how do we read such an odd book? I mean, this is, this is an odd book. Yeah. So yeah, as sure. believers in Jesus, um, how do we look at Ecclesiastes now over the next two and a half, three months and benefit from this book together? Yeah. No, I think it's an excellent, excellent question. And as David was talking, I was just thinking about, um, I think it's in Ecclesiastes 9, uh, but we'll get there to where it, it talks about how whatever your hand finds to do, like do it with all your might, which I was thinking about with 1 Corinthians 15, um, which kind of carries it over the, the goal line, as it were, that like um, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Like the resurrection has given us this incredible foundation, not just to sit around and wait for heaven, but to just go for it with gusto. Right. So mm. I think that we need to be open to doing that same exercise as we read Ecclesiastes, to, to recognize that it doesn't tell the whole story. Right. And as Christians, we can just see how the New Testament carries all of, all of that joy and all of those promises into, into a glorious future. And to recognize that everything that we're doing to contribute to that is just part of this incredible story that, that a good creator is, is writing. Mm. So I think that, that it just requires um, that discipline. Um, yeah, it's almost kind of like Ecclesiastes helps us latch our lives into what God has given us to experience and enjoy rather than just kind of simply being like, well, let's just kind of sit around and wait for Jesus to come back. Or figuring out how God's story fits into our narrative. It actually pulls us into, okay, you, you've been made to work. You've been given five, you know, you know, five fingers on each hand, and a body to experience. Um, and the the life that you have is to be experienced for the goodness of what God has given you, and to receive it as such at the hands of Christ. Yep. Yeah. So, I don't, David, do you have any thoughts on that before we? I, I I think that at the end of the day, and ironically, at the end of the book, it says everything we'll do will be judged whether it has eternal value, good, mm-hmm. or if it's evil, like. It truly was not just vapor or mist on earth, but it has no value in the future. Okay. I want to close this out with what are some resources that we can be going to as we read through Ecclesiastes. Um, I would strongly encourage you, if you don't have one of the um, Bible journals from Crossway, they just put together it's the text of the Bible on one side, Blank lines on the other side. Get Ecclesiastes, journal it up, read it. It's 11 chapters. I would encourage you this week, read Ecclesiastes in one sitting. I promise it will take 45 minutes or less. It's a fantastic book just to sit through and read. It helps you kind of get a whole sense of what the book is about. But what are some other resources that we can kind of bring to bear on learning from Ecclesiastes? Yeah, I, I mean, I would just echo the same sentiment that there's no substitute for reading the book itself. Um, and the only thing I would add to that is as we're reading it together, because um, we're going to come across spots that are a little bit troubling, a little bit confusing, and that's where like reading it together in community mm. uh, is super helpful. Another helpful resource even just within the Bible, uh, which might help you kind of think kind of along these lines, is Psalm 90. Uh, it's, it's a psalm uh, attributed to Moses, but it has that same sort of flavor to it that like our time on earth is short, we're impermanent, but right. like, and, and the psalm ends with Moses asking God to establish or to give permanence to the work of my hands. Um, so that would really help to sort of get, get in the flow of, um, of the thinking of Ecclesiastes. Right. 
Um, and I don't know if, do you want me to speak to the... Yeah, the, go for it. Uh, we're going to be putting out some print resources as well, which will be like kind of a structured way of of reading the book. Uh, so you kind of follow like a five or six day format in anticipation of the, the sermon for the next week. And at least the way that I'm thinking about it right now is each section has sort of an essential question, uh, something that isn't like a right there, like a yes or no kind of easy question, but something that helps us to enter into this idea of thoughtfully meditating on on Ecclesiastes. So one example would be right from the book itself. uh, In in chapter 1, verse 3, it says, what does a person gain from from all of their toil on the earth? That's a really good question to reflect on. And we'll talk through next week, like how the teacher answers that question or kind of in a sense doesn't answer that right. question. So, so those are some resources that we'll be, that we'll be putting together to, to put that out there. Yeah, and uh, the only other thing I would put on your radar is uh, Living Life Backwards by Philip Riken, I believe his name, is a great little one-book one commentary-ish on the, on the book of Ecclesiastes. And then we'll be putting up a couple overview videos of the book that have been put together by... Um, folks from the Bible Project and other sources. Yeah. I'm just going to recommend every time you see the word vanity or meaninglessness in your translation, you use the word hevel and think of mist or like impermanence in this life. But then think about, okay, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. It doesn't mean it doesn't have, it's a gift from God. Mm. And then I, I would also sort of help guys think through where does, keep going back to the last couple verses that keep mm. anchoring us in, where does this all end? Everything yeah. has has a value in in God's judgment, um, and so um, yeah, I, I don't have any other slick resources other than just that's really good. Yeah. yeah, no, that's excellent. So what we're going to do now is we're going to close our conversation, and then I'm going to give us a, um, a very quick uh, sermon to kind of get us into the series together. So thank you guys for your contribution yeah, here. Great. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.